Welcome to Best Friend Simulator, a quality hangout in podcast form with your simulated best friends, Josh and Dennis. You alright, buddy? No. What's what's the problem here? Well, Alexis hasn't been here for the weekend, so obviously I've been eating like an asshole. And my tummy hurts. Oh, buddy. What'd you eat? And whatever we have. Hmm. Yeah, I dropped a lot, lot of pizza. Pizza's good. I dropped Jamie off at the airport a little while before we started recording here, and I plan on having graham crackers for lunch. Are we the most pathetic people in the world? Yes. Okay. I'm Josh, right. and I'm pathetic. And I'm Dennis. <laughs> I'm Dennis, and I'm very pathetic. And this is Pathetic Best Friend Simulator. Oh, we're the worst. A oh, couple of pieces of work over here. A <sighs> couple of pieces of shit. Yeah. yeah. That's being mean. I think we're just pieces of work. No. I don't think you're a piece of shit, Dennis. No, I don't think I'm a piece of shit either. I think you're a fucking good motherfucker. I think I am pathetic, though. Look at you. You're not pathetic. You're sympathetic. Good one, dude. This is a great... We're off to a great start here. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so we got to get this over with. So I got other stuff to do tonight. Okay. What do you got? So, like... We have, I guess our friends aren't too crazy. We have a good good gang of friends, right? They're not too crazy. They don't party too hard. But for some reason, the most insane thing that they can think that I am involved in is fantasy baseball. Well. Every time I say it, they're just like, really? You still do that? And like, what? It's not cocaine. It is strange to me that you take on your persona of Pete Rose LeClure. I'm sorry? Pete Rose LeClure. I understand the first part of that, but not the second part of that. The the rogue mercenary. Mmm. And you fight uh, Duralius Strawbericus, the warlord from, from the, the Nyimets. It's not It's not fantasy fantasy baseball. Where we have fantasy characters and creatures playing the positions. Oh. It's just, it's, it's different. Hmm. So, there's no Kruk the Barbarian. <laughs> no, no, no. There's also no way to get the Loch Ness Monster to play the entire outfield, as I have considered in the past. That'd be cool. You'd have a lot of reach. Yeah, but where do you get the stats from, dude? We're just making shit up now. It's a fair point. Thank you. So, two things. One, go. I would like to know what fantasy baseball is, but the second part of that is, can you explain it in a way that's not going to be boring and that people would want to listen to? Okay. Imagine this. Kruk the Barbarian, wearing his, his enchanted face mask. You love comic books, right? Sure. What if you could read a comic book... That is about a comic book team, but this team is all of your favorite comic book characters. It's like Ambush Bug is teamed up with Blue Beetle and Booster Gold. Exactly. 
Exactly. You got it. So imagine that. Right. But boring. But with... <laughs> Fuck you. Imagine that, but with real people. Like I said, but boring. But boring, right. Yeah, nobody has special powers. It's all based on real statistics from sports. So there's no Kruk the Barbarian. There's no Kruk the Barbarian. There's also no John Kruk, which is what you're basing Kruk the Barbarian on. (laughs) He used to play baseball for the Philadelphia Phillies in the 90s. Let's start explaining your very, very specific sports knowledge to people. So there's no Tocolvi the Unyielding. There's no Tocolvi the Unyielding based on Kent Tocolvi, a relief pitcher from the 70s, maybe? Like, what? He was in there in the 80s. At least when I asked Sal about this, he says Dion Sanders and Babe Ruth. Cromlor Von Hayes. It's just 70s and 80s Phillies. 70s through 1995 Phillies knowledge. That was the only time I think I paid any close attention to a sport, so. Close, quote unquote. So, can we make fantasy baseball but my version? the Like a cool version that's not boring. <laughs> Let's hear the cool version of this. I mean, I guess my version would probably just be like a D&D campaign. Where right. all, the, all the players and NPCs are based around sports figures. Mostly taken so- from the Philadelphia area and the 70s and 80s. So basically what you're saying is you want to play D&D. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what you're saying. That's always been one of the fundamental splits between us, I guess, Mm -hmm. is that I just don't care about sports and you're a sports guy. But you like D&D and I like D&D. So we have that at least. And I'm a sports guy in that I like looking at sports stats to kill about five to ten minutes a day. And I like fantasy baseball because I like baseball because I'm a old white dude and because i like to gamble and this is the best way to scratch my gambling itch without going to the sugar house casino once a week what do you stand to win if at the end of the season your party <laughs> or team you you lead your party to victory if i lead my party to defeat um the wizard at the end of the end of the journey or win the the league uh, I can get about 700 bucks. Damn. Yeah, that's why I do it. Hmm. Got that itch. Who in the current baseball world would you consider the closest to a necromancer? Uh, would you explain necromancer for the audience? Uh, I would say someone who has mastered the the dark arts and has control over the dead uh, can resurrect them. To, to serve them. Mm, okay, that's nobody. Really? There's not like one dude playing baseball you look at, you look, I could see that motherfucker having a zombie kicking it with him. Hmm. See, I don't... Like somebody who could summon the spirit of a dead umpire to get a better call. See, I would have said Barry Bonds, but he doesn't play baseball anymore. Perhaps he's like a, a lich then, which we've discussed before. Yes. Which a, uh... a necromancer would often become a lich. So if a necromancer is in the the current baseball world, that's like a, a wizard who's still doing the thing, but they, they transcend, yeah. they move beyond. They shrug off this mortal coil, store their soul in a phylactery somewhere, and then become uh-huh. the wizened husk full of dark energy. So Barry Bonds is a lich, is what you're saying. Yeah, this is getting this is getting into some weird territory. I wasn't prepared to to really determine or 
say who in baseball could fit different D&D character tropes. Okay. I'd really have to think about it. So what you're saying is you don't have a way to make fantasy baseball not boring. No, you have to have some inherent interest in baseball or intense need to gamble. So are you going to put Maltroclafaz as your your shortstop then? Again, not fantasy, fantasy baseball. I was thinking of going with the Seattle Mariners, Gene Segura, Hmm. who I got an auction last year for $22. Okay. Is he a cleric? What deity does he he worship? uh, King Felix. It's huh? a little Mariners reference is, for you. You is, like that? Is that a deity? Jesus Christ. I mean, he's a godlike. He, at one point, was a godlike pitcher. Nah, he's old now, though. I'm not familiar with him. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so I will be keeping the audience updated uh, once a week for the next six months as to how my fantasy baseball team is going. And I will be cutting all of that out unless there's <laughs> at least one bugbear involved. I will just throw in a bugbear reference to appease you. Thank you. You know I love a bugbear. Listen to my other podcast, Fantasy Baseball Beat. I'm not going to edit that one. Fantasy Baseball Bugbear. So what's been going on, Josh? Oh, geez. Uh, I had a fun encounter last night on the the streets of South Park, Seattle at 11 p.m. Okay. We went out. uh, A friend of ours is unfortunately having to, to close down his shop. So we went to like his kind of like kind of the funeral for the business. Uh, no. You know, he's he's feeling good about it. But we, we went with our friends, Jen and Jonah, to Loretta's, the little bar here that serves food, because most of us realized that we were starving by the time we left. Uh, so we went, had some food, and I probably got out of there at about 11 o'clock. We walked out to the car. Now, it's pretty dead. This isn't like South Park is a neighborhood tucked away on like the very south, like the very southernmost point of Seattle. So it's not like there's like nightlife or anything. Mm-hmm. So as we were approaching the car, uh, a gentleman and a woman that was with him approached us, had a paper bag and said, you interested in some of these fresh steaks I just bought? <laughs> Definitely not a scam or stolen steaks, or anything like that. Nothing about those steaks said fresh, or just bought. Now, I we discussed it quite a bit, but I just want to know, like, what was that guy's game? Had he been selling them somewhere else, attempting to sell them somewhere else, and had no bites, and was like, that was like his, his Hail Mary. He's like, oh, these, these fools might want some weird street meats at 11 o'clock on a Saturday night. I'm assuming you just said no. Right, right. But I wish you would have just at least went a little further. In hindsight, yeah, we we discussed it afterwards, and Jonah really regretted it. He's like, you know, we should have got those street meats. At least, at least, like, pulled a line like, uh, I don't know, man, how fresh are they? Just to, just to get him talking about where the steaks came from. Well, I think the thing was we were we were just so taken aback that this thing happened uh-huh, sure. that we were all kind of in shock a little bit and like it didn't really fully register until we got into the car also i'm concerned that you're seattle fied because if that happened in philly you wouldn't have batted an eye very true you'd be like yeah no nah, i don't think so but good luck to you yeah man i lost my head you think I'm, you think they were like sorry what no i was just thinking maybe i have, have grown to unaccustomed to people selling weird sketchy things to me at all hours of day and night Attempting to. Yeah. I mean, I definitely wouldn't have purchased any meats from a person walking down the street, but 
I think I just want to know more. Like, what's the deal? Hmm. Did he appear to be under the influence of a substance? You know, it was hard to tell. Okay. It, the whole interaction was so brief. Mm. My, my memory of it is very sketchy. I mean, he didn't seem to be like a full-on like tweaker or anything. Okay. But I wasn't trying to assume. Yeah. No, that that's a big thing we run into down here. There's there's a, a bit of a meth problem down this way. I mean, I also totally assumed, but I wasn't trying to assume. I think it's fair to say somebody trying to sell some steaks just out on the street ran to random passersby. Yeah. Are probably not like just an entrepreneur mm-hmm. really trying you to strike out into the business world. You don't think he's running a street meet uh um startup on the at 11 o'clock at night that's not my first guest i I think i think it's a a fair bet that anybody who's trying to to hustle assorted stakes in such a situation probably is trying to turn over some money really quick for some other reason was it a bag big enough to fit assorted stakes or was it just like two it was maybe like four Hmm. not even on ice not that i could tell oof you guys interested in some nighttime room temperature? Get your meat. night steaks right here. Night steaks, night steaks. You know who definitely would have bought all of them and spent all of his hard-earned gold pieces? A lich? Cruck the Barbarian. He's got a really high constitution score, so I bet he could have eaten them and been a-okay. Really uh, really stuck in this uh, Cruck the Barbarian thing, huh? That would have been rations for like at least four days. Night stakes. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they give you a bonus to like night vision or something. So now we know where to get some night meat while we're in Seattle. Yeah. Any listeners out there, if, if you want, I can go check it out again next week. See if he's there. I think you should. I'll ship them to you. I think you should just to see if it happens again. Perhaps. Now, what if I told you that I decided to go with it and that for the first time in 20 or 21 years, I ate meat. Sold to me by a man on the street. I would be so proud of you for taking one for the podcast. Yes. Because you know it would be not only an amazing story, but an amazing reveal that people would tune in for. We could advertise this shit like, yo, on the next episode of Best Friend Simulator, Josh does the unthinkable. Also was thinking since then. If this was about 10 years ago, do you think our friend Justin, what's up, Justin, would have bought that street meat and eaten it? Oh, I think if it was about one week ago, he would have, at the very least, continued the conversation to find out. He definitely would have, yeah. I know he slowed down, but Justin is is kind of the guy that has been the adventure eater of our group. Oh, for sure. Oh, he's the guy. He Did he drink snake venom? I don't know if that, I think it was a plan, but I don't know if it happened. Okay. But he's but, the most likely out of all my friends to purchase and, and eat. Oh, for sure. He smoked the bumbleweed. Oh, God, that's right. <laughs> Look, I'd eat some street meat. <laughs> Which that way was... I should explain that. No, let's not. <laughs> bumbleweed uh, was old weed with a bumble, a dead bumblebee in it. Oh, it was a dead bumblebee? I thought you were talking about the rolled up like paper bag full of like other cigarettes and stuff that some dude was passing around. No, no, this is the bumbleweed. Oh, I don't I remember that story. We found, I think, in front of a Whole Foods, and then I think he smoked it, like, way later. Ooh. I think. Oh. We'll get confirmation from he, him. He got sure. really buzzed. 
Huh? Hey, uh... Get out. Watch You're it. fired. Watch what? Hot jokes coming through. You made me hit the microphone. I got so excited. Uh, I feel weird today. What's wrong? I'm full of regret that I didn't, didn't get that street meat. See, I'd look, I'd eat some street meat, like, if a vendor was on the street cooking meat. It's different. Street meat raw from a paper bag from a stranger. Who proclaimed they were fresh and just bought. Ugh. Uh, it can't be good. <laughs> but, can't be good, but I definitely want you to go out there the same night and place and time next week to see if it happens again. I'll see what I can do. Oh, so, I wanted to tell you something. I don't know why I said it like that. Josh, I want to tell you something. So, Josh, I got an item for a Best Friend Simulator News Minute. There is a new quote-unquote UFO video. That comes courtesy of the Alien Investigation Organization to the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, who is run by... Tommy D. Tommy D. from Blink-182s. Also, we're the former head of the U.S. government's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, Luis Elizondo, now works. So basically in this video, and we're going to play the audio for you after this little explanation, you just see this small blip flying across the surface of the ocean at what... I guess what seems to be like a very high speed, it's taken from um, a fighter jet, so it's just infrared, Mm -hmm. and it's really tiny, so they have a lot of trouble catching it on camera, and then when they do, the pilot like freaks out, so we'll play that audio right here. Yeah, so in the video, you can see there's no visible wings or signs of a combustion engine. You can also see no detail whatsoever. So I don't know what the hell's going on. A a tiny little, yeah, blip. And it's being recorded with FLIR, forward-looking infrared. Hmm, Look at you. I know that it came up a lot when we were when I was doing the research on the missing four one one stuff. Uh, ah. David Politis discussed using FLIR to try to find uh, people lost in the woods, but it's interesting. I mean, it. Do we know how legit it is? Well, you know, like the other stuff that this guy found. I mean, New York Times reported on the last stuff, so it seems like yeah, that's true. The reason that they formed this to the Stars Academy partially was to put out like legit stuff that was backed by the government so hmm yeah it's the thing that is very infuriating as somebody that is into this stuff but comes at it from a skeptical side but is still very fascinated by it is how uncritical people tend to be about it yeah it's like i I get that you want to believe in this stuff but like you're doing a disservice to the whole thing by just accepting things you know like do we know if this is like footage of something with somebody else putting audio over it or whatever? You know, there's, I mean, the whole thing is, is yeah. There's a a podcast that I've been listening to lately that I enjoy. It's called Bigfoot Collectors Club. 
it started up not too much longer after I think we started. They are, are guys who are semi-famous and have famous friends, so they obviously, you know, it's, it's a way bigger podcast than us. They have a couple but more followers? They have, yeah, like maybe 10 more followers than us. Cool, cool, cool. And it, it infuriates me sometimes because they will regularly cite things that have been debunked hmm. on the podcast. And, and I get that they're doing it for fun, you know, like they're having a good time with it, but they do sometimes get a little serious and they reference things that are very widely known to be not true. And, it you know, so stuff like that is crazy. I'm not saying that about this video, but yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen anything else about it, just the video. And uh, no, there hasn't been like a New York Times article to come out with this, but... You know, this is probably this was more of the stuff that Tom DeLonge promised was going to start coming out. Yeah. So I don't know. I think I think like a lot of skeptical people, I need a lot more than 100 percent. I than that. definitely need something more conclusive, you know, because- and I, I think it's perfectly acceptable to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I have no idea what that video was, you know, but unless you have evidence to suggest something, you can't say it was conclusively something. And I think that's the big split between me and uh, other people that are into paranormal stuff is that a lot of other people are willing to entertain these thoughts. Be like, oh, but it was definitely an alien. Yeah, I think the only thing they can prove is that it, it but it, they can prove it's an, it's a UFO because technically it's an, it's an unidentified flying object. It is, which, yeah. If you're going with the very base of the, yeah. of the definition, there, boom, you got it. Nobody can figure out what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, UFO is definitely a loaded term because there are further implications and, you know, suggestions that it's an alien craft or something. I mean, this could very well be a craft made by China. Sure. Or somebody. And and what, what a great way to test your new cutting edge equipment that has nonlinear propulsion systems and stuff by having it engage with the military of another mm-hmm. country you know that would be a great way to test that out be like okay well let's see how it does against them we're not going to attack them or anything but so yeah i mean it, it could be anything and that that's the thing is non-falsifiable claims are rife throughout the paranormal world people are saying it's this and it's that yeah it could be an alien it could be a dude in some high-tech anti-gravity ship that was just made in some oh, other cool. country it could be my grandmother's ghost. But until you have something conclusively suggesting any evidence linking it to that, you can't say it's that. Do you, th- you, know? do you really think it's your grandmother's ghost? It's Mama BB. <sighs> Not Mama BB. The evidence is that you can smell camel cigarettes in in the vapor trail behind the, the ship. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> that shit runs on nicotine. R.I.P. Mama All BB. Right. She was smoking those those unfiltered camels, so she was always <laughs> spitting out the Gross. tobacco. Oh man! So it's uh, talking about Luis Elizondo. The last time we talked about him, we uh, were talking about NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Science, which he teamed up with Robert Bigelow and did some other alien stuff ties directly into part two of Josh's Paranormal Portal. So we are going to discuss part two of Skinwalker Ranch this week. So last week we we talked a bit about the Shermans. I wanted to say Gormans again. You almost did it. I almost did it. I had to stop myself there. We, yeah, we were discussing the Shermans. Very, very brief encapsulation. They moved onto this land in Utah to start a cattle ranch. 
shit started going crazy. You had giant wolves on the property. You had all manner of UFOs, cattle mutilations, the whole nine yards. Windows 95. Windows 95. Wait, what? Oh, yeah, I get it. The, the portals. There wi- Got it. There are portals. Oh, I thought you called them windows. Portals. That makes windows more sense. They, it might have very well been 95 when they were uh-huh. seeing this Oh, stuff. it was windows in 95. No, they they were referred to as windows. I book. listened to the last podcast, did you? I did. Thank you. So, at this point, I, I think the breaking point for Terry Sherman was the incident with the dogs chasing the blue orb, and they were apparently vaporized. Uh, so, he was pretty fed up. And at this point, I also mentioned news was starting to get out about everything happening on the ranch, uh, being first picked up in the Deseret News out of Salt Lake City, and then George Knapp picking it up in the Las Vegas Mercury. So at this point, Sherman was at wit's end, and he and his family were approached by NIDS with an offer of $200,000 for the Hmm. ranch. Sherman was ready, you know, he was ready to kind of cut his losses. He decided to sell. Now, he stayed on, however, as ranch manager to kind of keep keep an eye on things, uh, which I thought was a bit strange. Mm, yeah. You know, like all this crazy stuff was happening. I don't know if he still was able to run the ranch from it and just shifted ownership to Bigelow or what, but I don't know. So at this point, NIDS sent researchers to the ranch and decided to keep them there until they witnessed and recorded some sort of paranormal activity. Like, they they had some kind of conclusive proof that something was really going on here. Calm Kelleher, who is one of the people who wrote the book that I read for this, uh, Hunt for the Skinwalker, he is a molecular biologist and immunologist. I believe he's Irish. He was appointed to lead the team. Now, interesting fact about Calm Kelleher that I found, like, digging around, this wasn't mentioned in the book. Kelleher wrote a book about a year before Hunt for the Skinwalker was released called The Hidden Connection Between Mad Cow and Misdiagnosed Alzheimer's Disease. Now, from the reviews I found on this book, it seems to be a somewhat conspiratorial look at a link between mad cow disease, which doesn't affect people, and the rare degenerative brain disorder, Crutzfeld-Jacob disease, uh, which is known to be a cause between Alzheimer's disease. So Kelleher, I I wasn't able to find how much of his research was really sound. It sounded like from the reviews, a lot of people, a lot of people were into it, but also they seemed to be there for the the conspiracy Mm -hmm. theory aspect. Other people that I read kind of looking at it from a scientific thing said that his research methods were kind of shoddy. He wasn't great at citing sources and stuff. Now, the very interesting thing, and this ties into stuff that goes on at Skinwalker Ranch after he's there, was that he suggests in this book that the source of cattle mutilations, at least in our country, are that they're actually covert operations testing the spread of these diseases amongst stock in our in our country, you know? That makes sense. So he suggests that this is, I don't know if it's the government doing it or what, but they're taking samples from cattle to check for the links of like the prions of mad cow that are kind of jumping into something that can affect humans. So that that's what's going on. Now, I don't know if he cites any of his research done on the ranch because stuff keeps happening once Kelleher is there. So, I'm going to say, I, I buy that conspiracy theory. I'm in it. I'm into it. Yeah. Well, I I don't know. I'm also, that. Do you, what calm Kelleher is doing today. Uh, last time I checked, he was doing some kind of cancer research. He's the also the biotech consultant for To the Stars Academy oh, of Science. Oh, shit. 
Interesting. I didn't realize he was yeah. connected to it. I it the name sounded so familiar. I just looked it up. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I wasn't too familiar with him before I started doing research on this. Like, I know I had heard his name when I listened to some podcasts about Skinwalker before, but yeah. So that that's just an interesting thing to think about as this goes on. So this sale happened in 96. Nids sent people to the ranch. Uh, there were a number of researchers there. Kelleher was overseeing, I think also George Knapp got involved at this point. I think the articles he was writing were from the perspective of somebody visiting the ranch. So strange things continued to happen. Now, in the book, a lot of this stuff was, again, I mentioned it's not necessarily given in a chronological order. It kind of jumps around in time. I don't know exactly how much of it was witnessed just by the Shermans and how much of it was witnessed by the Shermans and researchers, because it seems... It seems to me, and I could be wrong about this, but most of the really extravagant, crazy stuff that went on at the ranch all seemed to be something that the Shermans saw themselves, by themselves, mm. which seems kind of like a weak link to me. Now, researchers did see stuff, so that's, that's an interesting thing to think about. So I'm going to go through just a list of things that went on between 1996 and I want to say maybe 2004, uh, which is when things kind of wrapped up on the ranch. So Terry and his son saw in the darkness one night a set of reflective yellow eyes. The placement of them indicated that this creature was possibly 20 feet tall. Terry shoots at it and the eyes disappear. Uh, He chases it and sees two creatures in the dark. He shoots one more time or he shoots the first one once and then shoots the other one twice. They disappear. He finds a few giant bird like prints. Later, he says that they looked like giant dogs. Now, the only evidence cited in the book that this happened was that one of the researchers went and took videotapes of the prints. Now, this I couldn't find anywhere. There's a a website dedicated to Skinwalker Ranch called skinwalkerranch.org that has a lot of information, but a lot of it is also very not great. A lot of it, it's it's Hmm. like, like I talked about earlier, the willingness for people to believe things trumps everything else. So they'll just... So there's definitely stuff on here that I'm like, I don't think this is from Skinwalker Ranch. This is a weird, this is just a photo that I've seen other places, you know. So, but I couldn't find this on the website, at least, which weird. So I, this is another thing. I'll look for it a little bit more this week if I remember, because I would like to at least see it. Another one, and this is a, a, a pretty interesting one. So Terry and Gwen were doing the rounds on the ranch, and Gwen mentioned to Terry that she would just lose her mind if something happened to the four bulls that they have on the ranch. Uh, These are Mm. like prize bulls. So she mentions it, and then almost immediately, they drive back by the area where the bulls were, and they're not in the pasture. So Terry gets out and is looking around, and now there's a small trailer right next to the pasture, very tiny. He looks, and the four bulls are inside of this tiny trailer, They're crammed in. He claims that they were standing in there hypnotized, stock still, like just crammed in. And then they suddenly come to and realize that they're in the trailer and go fucking nuts 
and start like kicking the wall out of the side of the trailer. They kick the door out and completely destroy it and, and get out. Now, the researchers come to this, I think, after the fact, and they claim that the bars on the inside window of the trailer are magnetized. But again, this is another one of those things. There's no real evidence for it other than Jester's said this. And, uh, you know, also, if they were magnetized, what would that signify? Just that they wouldn't be magnetized. It was an anomalous thing. Metal like that isn't normally magnetic unless something but happens it to it. it. But there's no like, usually when this happens, things get magnetized that normally. No, that was just, uh, I think, an anomalous okay. thing that they picked up. You know, like they, there, there wasn't any necessary link. But there, I mean, there are magnetic anomalies on the ranch already at this point. So I think that they took note of that because it's consistent with other stuff they claim to have found. So my question is, why is the whole family still here? I I don't know. Even if Terry said, sure, I'll continue being the manager so yeah. we can still like work these cattle, why is his wife and his son still That's there? the thing. I don't I don't I don't know. Maybe they kept him on to look after the cattle and you know he sold the ranch so that he didn't have to worry about bills and stuff. If he was really losing cattle at the rate that he claimed, he was going to go under at some point, I'm sure. Because, yeah. I mean, the, these cows, I, I think, you know, I don't even know, like, at least $1,000 a head. I don't I don't know what the going rate for is cattle. You know, I just know how much street meat goes for. Actually, no, I never regret that. Should have gotten a price out not, of that fucking guy. God damn it. Now, this would, this would not be considered street meat. This would be considered cattle. No, this cattle. is on so the hoof, different. as they call it. Do, do they? Or... I'd like to find out that you did a lot of cattle ranching research when you were also looking into Skinwalker Ranch. I think that's that's like a term used in cattle cattle On the cattle hoof. ranching. That's not a thing. I, <laughs> I prefer my I prefer my meat off the hoof. Off the hoof. I prefer my meat in a paper bag at night at ambient temperature. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Good to you. So speaking of anomalous magnetic stuff going on in the ranch. Uh, this next one also features Terry and Gwen. They witnessed a cow freaking out in one of the pastures. It was backing away from something like it was frightened. And then the whole herd itself parts like something is moving amongst their midst. Now there's they don't see anything, but they're parting like something is going amongst their midst, frightening them. And then they stampede and run off. But apparently, whatever this thing was, they claim the point of a compass was following it. They were watching it as the cattle parted. The, the compass needle was tracking it, mm-hmm. uh, which was interesting. So I wonder if that was a predator or something. Also at this point... Because as soon as like some freaky shit happens and an invisible creature looks like it's coming at you, you pull out your compass. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. So up next, we have... This one was, wasn't was touched on a lot, but I thought it was interesting and worth noting. So there were dogs. I mean, you, you have dogs when you're, when you're cattle ranching. They assist in herding and stuff. Now, the dogs were apparently let out of their pens nine dozen times over the course of... I don't know how long it was, but they would just come out and find the pens open and the dogs just out and about. I have a feeling you didn't write this piece of information. You're copying it from somewhere. Do people use the term nine dozen? Like, can't you just say like over a hundred? Nine dozen yeah, is a very I th- odd I way to... I think in the book it was referred to as that. As nine dozen. As nine dozen. Yeah. Right, right. It's, That's what I'm it's saying. a weird number for would've... sure. <laughs> just, just wanted to point that out. This next one does actually involve researchers and not the Shermans. There were two researchers out in the evening after dark and one of them had low light infrared glasses on and claimed that he saw some kind of a large black creature 
Details were sketchy, didn't get into like the shape of it or anything other than the fact that it was large and dark. He claimed it took control of his mind and telepathically said to him, We are watching. That's true. And somebody was with him and and claims that this they were there. They didn't have the infrared goggles so they couldn't see, but claims this happened. You know, this guy kind of had a freak out, said he saw this thing and that it spoke to him in his mind. Uh, What else do we have? Terry witnesses a cattle stampede that breaks through barbed wire, uh, gets into the neighbor's alfalfa patch. He went after them immediately because I think if alfalfa is eaten by cattle, it could really fuck up their stomachs or something. I think when it's green or Mm. something. They seemed really fearful about going back into the pasture So he is out on horseback trying to get them round up. They're not cooperating. They are all running off towards a creek. He gets out to the creek and these golf ball sized red spheres appear and start flying at him and the cattle. The the golf balls, the red balls are flying at the cattle and eventually herd them into the creek. They they stampede. Some of the cattle are trampled and injured. Uh, None of them died. But one of the the balls flies at Terry while he's on the horse and fucking knocks him off. What? Yes. I don't think it connected with him. I think he he bailed so it wouldn't hit him. Mm. Terry Terry knows he can go at any time. He's got two hundred thousand dollars. I mean, you can make a new life for yourself. Yeah. And again, this is one of those things that I I have a lot of questions about Terry Sherman that I haven't been able to answer. Just reaching into this, like I, I still. I'm not sure why he stuck around with all this crazy shit going on. And, you know, I yeah, so I don't know. Also, that definitely Mm. reminded me of the scene from Big Trouble in Little China after Jack Burton and Wang get captured. And the storms have those those golf ball sized red balls. Yeah, it knocks him right in the stomach. So I'm wondering if he later saw Big Trouble in Little China with his son and was like, that's just like what hit me off the horse. Oh, it's 2002. I just saw Big Trouble in Little you China. You seen this movie? Can you believe this? Philistine. <laughs> <laughs> what else happened? So this next one is very trippy. So there are two researchers out. Now, there were research stations that they set up on the land. I forgot to mention that. There was like, I think like a, a central base that was like a trailer or something that was kind of like the headquarters that they would meet at and then go out and patrol the land and stuff. So there were two researchers out. Uh, Again, one was equipped with infrared optics. They saw a light off in the distance. This was a a bright yellow light, probably about two feet across. Now, one of them is looking at it with the infrared goggles and claims it appears to be some kind of a tunnel. He sees a faceless black creature crawl out of it, climb out, and then walk away. Now, the other researcher who didn't have the infrared lights or infrared optics says he just saw the light. He didn't see the creature itself. A weird one. So this one happened in 1998. They gave a date for this one for some reason. So they had surveillance cameras set up all throughout the ranch, pointing at some of the, the notable hotspots, recording 24 hours a day. So this happened in July 98. Sherman notices that three of the cameras are out. The feeds are dead. He goes out with some researchers to check the scene and finds that the PVC housing that the the wires and stuff were kept in is all bent and destroyed. The wiring also, when it was installed, was wrapped in duct tape. Now, the duct tape was missing. It was all meticulously unwound from the wires and was just gone, absent from the scene entirely. Hmm. All of the cameras were disabled at around the same time as when they went back to review the tapes. And footage 
from one remaining camera that was actually still pointing in the general direction that featured some of the area where these these other disabled cameras were located only revealed that the power indicator lights like a little glowing red light showing that the cameras were on that they all went off at the same time but there was nothing else picked up so that that was a strange thing yeah it's a little suspect for sure terry and gwen found a large creature that had kind of the head of a dog but like a hyena like body like very stout but it had a bushy tail like a fox almost they discovered this creature in one of their corrals chasing their horses around terry i think went and chased it off but then two of the researchers independently at later points claimed that they saw this creature as well so another weird theme of dog-like creatures going on here how uh, large is this ranch uh, I think I said it was like something like 480 acres, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, that's like a crazy big Yeah, area, it's very right? big. Yeah. That's like miles, right? Yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I okay. couldn't tell you offhand, but yeah, that's that's pretty huge. Okay. Terry also recounted seeing strange things on the ranch itself. In addition to this hyena-like creature, he said he saw tiny tropical-looking birds uh, that were bright red on the ranch at one point which is not a thing native to Utah. Tropical birds aren't the type of thing you would necessarily see out here. Uh, He also claimed that there were very, very large spiders around. I don't think dog-sized spiders or anything of that sort, but a lot bigger than you would normally see. And also there was an account given during this time period, people driving through the area. Now, there were some roads at the time that I think actually ran through the ranch, public roads and stuff. So people were passing through the area, claimed that they saw a muscular humanoid figure running at superhuman speed toward the ranch. And like yeah, that. that that's a weird thing as well. And that's, that's scary. So one of the things that, one of the points that was driven home a lot in the book was that, you know, while I just read to you a list of strange things that happened, the overwhelming opinion, it seemed like, was that most of the time, things were dead on the ranch. It was very quiet. Not a lot of things were happening. Something strange would happen, and then it would go back to being really quiet and dead. So... In 2004, NIDS pulls the plug. You know, this is eight years, I think, after they initially came to the land. Researchers have anecdotal evidence that they've seen things there, but they have yet to find anything particularly conclusive that anything is really going on. That You know, they don't have any evidence that they could show to people, which I thought was admirable that they at least say that. So they, they pull the plug. And also at this point, the paranormal activity on the ranch has slowed to a stop. Things just get really dead entirely. Now, Sherman went on record afterwards and said that he thinks NIDS was not subtle enough. You know, they came in, they set up like a research station. They were, they they made a very, their presence was very known on the land. They weren't being quiet or subtle in any way. And he thinks that they chased away whatever was happening. I mean, yeah, of course. How else are you going to explain it? Yeah. Uh, that that seems all this stuff happened before you guys yeah, got that here. That seems like a very convenient retroactive explanation for things. I don't. I swear it was happening. <laughs> Again, that could be like that thing you know when you take your car to a mechanic. It's been making this noise, but now it's not doing it. Right, right. So an interesting turn of events when NIDS closes down Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies or BASS, as as Great. their their really catchy acronym is. <laughs> is formed in, from the ashes of that, kind of. And I think Bigelow, that was the point when he started to do research on the inflatable space station things and stuff. I think he, he shifted mm-hmm. to that. Now, rumors 
at this point are are abound on the internet and, and in conspiracy theory corners saying that they think Bass has more clandestine plans and possibly the government was getting involved. And now we know at this point, too, that Bigelow was also involved in the advanced aerial threat identification system. Is that the acronym? I can't remember. It is the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. The Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And when did that start again? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Within the past couple of years. No, wait a minute. No, I'd have to look look that up. Okay. So a lot of people think that Bigelow started working with the government and that they weren't being as forthcoming with the information because now the government was involved. They wanted to they wanted all the findings for themselves. So, you know, there is this, it's backed up. Well, you know, clearly Bigelow now we know has worked with the government. So people are still saying, yeah, this is a sign that he shut it down, pulled the plug on NIDS because he was like, yeah, nothing is being found. But in reality, maybe they were finding stuff, whatever. I don't know what people are thinking. And that was formed in 2007 and dissolved in 2012. Okay, interesting, interesting. So yeah, so this was in 2004 when this happened. So who knows? Hmm. So in 2005... The book, The Hunt for the Skinwalker, is released, and it becomes very well known at this point. And it becomes, you know, this is one of those things that a lot of people are very obsessed with. There's a lot of information about it on the internet. A lot of people look at this one as kind of the Rosetta Stone of the paranormal because it contains so many disparate elements. They feel like if you can unlock what's happening here, you would have a a great understanding of the paranormal in general. Yeah, it really does seem like a greatest hits of paranormal aliens. Yeah, man, like there's there's so much stuff. And I, I mentioned last episode, they tie in Bigfoot and Sasquatch to this, but it seems a little bit like they're trying to make it fit in by suggesting that mm-hmm. some of the like black figures seen on the land could be Sasquatch or something. I have yet to come across anything where people are seeing classic Sasquatch type stuff. It, it all seemed to me like, I, I think, oh, it, maybe that was Sasquatch too. Just to kind of get it, to shoehorn it all in. Yeah, it's almost like they forgot that one, so they got to put it in there too. Yeah. So things go quiet on the ranch. That could be, there's this veil of secrecy there. That could be nothing's happening. I don't know. So I thought it was worth mentioning. I saw that in 2015, our boy, Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer Corbell, the director of Patient 17, created a website about the ranch with plans to produce a documentary aided and advised by his mentor, George Knapp. So I kept coming across this guy's stuff. So he's, he's got a little a little bit of a finger in everything. A thumb? A thumb in everything. He got a little bit of a finger. Yeah. He's, he's, he's finger blasting everything out there. <laughs> Great. But the documentary hasn't come Not out. Not that right? I could find. Yeah. Okay. And that, I don't know why we hate this guy so much, but I, as soon as I saw he was involved too, I'm like, oh, great, him. It just made me automatically feel like it brought the sketchiness level up. I don't, that dude just sketches me out. I don't yeah. know. He's still, there's Bad still morning. an open invitation for him to come up and defend himself, though. Yeah, JKLC. Let's get on here, man. Hit us up, dude. So last year, 26, no, that was not last year. I don't know what dates are. In 2016, two years ago, Bigelow quietly sells the ranch to an undisclosed buyer who operates under the corporation Adamantium Holdings. For a rumored sum of $4.5 million. What? Uh, little is known about Adamantium Holdings. From the digging that I could find, and I am in no by no means an accomplished 
journalists, so I don't really know the channels to look for, but I found that they were incorporated in Delaware, which is uh, a very common thing for corporations to do because Delaware has taxes that are very favorable to corporations. They get to pay way lower taxes than in their home state, so that's a very, very common thing. Uh, I worked for a legit company that was incorporated in Delaware. So likewise. It really means yeah, something. Yeah, I worked for Stumptown Coffee here and was pretty bummed when I saw that they were incorporated in Delaware, too. I'm like, oh, cool. Let's avoid those taxes, guys. That's my little dig at my former employer. Yeah, take that. So I think this information came to light because a public road that passed through the ranch uh, was declared vacated by the county because I think the owners of the ranch had actually put a fence up over it they put a gate up and which was not legal so i think they petitioned the county to go ahead and just finally vacate it because they claimed it was unsafe you know whatever so word got out about this in like the local news they're like oh wait so bigelow doesn't own this anymore and bigelow actually responded to this news coming out and said that yes he no longer owned it you know he he sold the property uh people were still wildly speculating that bigelow kind of use some financial trickery to sell the ranch to himself in order to distance himself from the property. Now, who knows what is going on there? Do we know where this place exactly yeah. is? It's yeah, there's I mean there's like longitudinal latitudinal GPS position points like you could find for this. What? Uh it's apparently, I mean it's guarded, it's all fenced off. People claim they've seen armed guards on the land. I don't know if that's legit. I mean, it could be if you have crazy paranormal fiends trying to break on the land to find shit. You know, that's not uncommon. True. I've read a lot of accounts of people claiming firsthand they went out and like snuck onto the land and stuff. So I don't know. I was able to find I wasn't able to track down the episode uh, on Coast to Coast AM. George Knapp stated that paranormal activity on Skinwalker Ranch was picking back up again. But I haven't been able to track that down. That's another thing I might try to look into this week and see if I could find any more further information about that. Now, that is pretty much the history of Skinwalker Ranch up to today. It's owned by Adamantium Holdings. People claim that, you know, it's all fenced off and that it's being patrolled by armed guards with long rifles. That's all we know. That's it. And nothing's coming out other than George Knapp saying... Yeah, like I said, I'll look into that for next episode and see if I can find anything. So we're going to stop here. Next episode, I will get a little bit into the history of the land. There's a a history going back, you know, well before it was colonized by Europeans. You know, the, the Native Americans living on the land, the Utes and the Navajo have a lot of legends that were cited, possibly tying into some of the things happening on this property. Oh, shit. Yeah, there there's... It's some cool stories, at least, that come out of this. And that's the thing that I I like about Skinwalker Ranch is just how weird the whole thing is and how it just, it really has everything (laughs) from the paranormal world in it, which is kind of cool. I I mean, I'm skeptical of things, so who knows. But yeah, so we'll get into the history of the region. There's some really cool sightings. uh, Some of my absolute favorite stories in the whole world about like just weird shit people have seen around the area surrounding Skinwalker Ranch and stuff. And then we'll get into some of the proposed explanations for what could be happening. And then I guess we'll sort of discuss it ourselves a little bit. Commentary and wrap up with part three of Skinwalker Ranch. uh, Yeah, it's like all these like little interesting stories with no detail, no timeline, no solid timeline, no like 
good explanations for anything. It's just like, oh, and by the way, this other crazy shit happened and too. It, so it's just fun. Yeah, and it, it as I discussed last last episode, it makes it tough to cover because it's so everything is so scattered to the wind. So many things are unconnected on this. You know, like there's weird sightings of this, and then there's that, and then it's like, you know, how do you cover this? And like I said, uh, there's a podcast, Astonishing Legends, that I like a lot which is a, a, a really great paranormal podcast. The guys tend to be on the we believe side of things, but I don't hold it mm. against them. The thing I respect yeah. about that podcast is that they do a shit ton of research. Like they really dig in. So I think they did like a three part on Skinwalker Ranch, but I think instead of half an episode like us, they did full like uh. two, two and a half hour episodes. Ooh, wow. So yeah, cool. so they dug into it and those guys are really pretty good about presenting stuff and even they were like yeah we're sorry this is there's so much here that's just bonkers so did they not have any any fantasy baseball stuff to talk about they didn't and they also have Mm. a group of people that do research for them yo how do you do that i don't know i think they might have been fans of the show that volunteered to do it or something or i don't i don't don't know what the deal is but we need that we gotta get our fans to do some start doing some fucking work matter of fact we do have somebody our buddy keegan okay is very good about sending us news reports that he finds he sent me one that i want to talk about uh on a future episode some recent discoveries about the atta mummy do you know about this one oh I don't. Okay, well, I'll save it for later, but it's a, a tiny little mummy that people are saying was an alien. Oh, I did I did see that okay, recently. Yeah. So Keegan is is one of our official researchers. He I told him he's hired. So and All right, he, he gets paid with mentions and thanks. Yeah, yeah. And BFS bucks. Yes. That you could use to on our we're making uh we're gonna make a marketplace on the internet. You could buy some swag. Yes, you'll be able to get a Huffy BMX if you save your BFS bucks. <laughs> I was thinking more of like like a baseball cap with our faces on it. Hmm. And a BMX bike with our faces on it. Could it be an armored baseball cap for when you're going into the dungeon of who's the guy? Pete and Cabelia? <laughs> I think it was Kruk the Usurper. Kruk the, Kruk barbarian. the barbarian. No, he's the good guy, man. Come on. Who's the necromancer? <laughs> Let's say Peter. Kurt, Kurt Schilling would be the necromancer. Kurt Schilling, the necromancer. When you said who is a necromancer in baseball, he was the first person that I thought of, but he doesn't play anymore. What about Darren Dalton? Dude, RIP. Oh, he's dead? Do you know about Darren Dalton? Yeah, he went nuts. Okay, that's enough for this episode. <laughs> oh, man, we should talk about <laughs> we'll that. We'll talk about that off mic. You got, you got real into magic. <laughs> okay. Well. Well, he was clearly a magic yeah. user then. There you go. Uh, so anyway, I think that's all the time we have for this skinwalk. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Made me feel weird. Ugh. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of Best Friend Simulator. Send us an email at joshanddennis at gmail.com. That's Dennis with one N. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best Friend Simulator. And thanks to Alan for the theme music. Listen to his podcast, Werewolf Ambulance, and Marveling at Marvel's Marvels. Also, thanks to Justin for the artwork. See more of his stuff at burntobuild.com. That's all the time we have for this outro. Bye. Bye.